If your business is tired of paying unpredictable and high phone bills, do what I did. Switch to Zoom Call's cloud business phone service. You'll pay the same low amount every month, no matter how many calls you have in the U.S. and Canada. And Zoom Calls has a really cool feature called voicemail drops. Whenever you reach someone's voicemail, just say hi in their name and then click a couple of buttons on your phone to leave your pre-recorded message. It saves both your voice and your time. Check out zoomcalls.com. That's zoomcalls.com. I think you'll love it. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, that is right indeed. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk and education. Thought I'd throw that in as we're launching our CNBU, conservative, not bitter university. Working on that and uh, some more information will be on that, coming out on that here in the not too distant future. If you want to learn more about that, you can text Let's see, text the word course to 888-111, and we'll get you set up to get information about that. But it's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Today we have a a special guest, so anytime we we do this, I uh, truncate a couple of segments because I like to talk with folks a little bit longer than is typical in media you know, I, again, I think the soundbite, the soundbite culture we have, the short clips that we have, is one of the problems we have in America. Um, if we ever want to get past the talking points, we've got to add enough uh, enough depth to be able to do so. So, anyway, I work. I welcome a gentleman to the program by the name of Alex McFarland. Alex has his hand in many things. At his core, though, he's a culture and religion analyst, expert. He's a professor. He's a Christian apologist. He's been a minister, a youth pastor. He's a broadcaster. He debates, um, you know, atheists, and he's a busy guy. So we invite him or we welcome him to the program here a little bit later. But I want to start here off the top. I want to start with some bad political theater, some more bad political theater. You've seen this by now. Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats wearing uh, the Kenty cloth, I believe is uh, how you pronounce that. It's a um, an African, uh, in this case, it's it's uh, a scarf with, with really pretty um, cloth, like a, a scarf, if you will. So they wrap this around their uh, necks, and then they go into the uh, the Capitol to pose for a photo op. Remember, Trump has photo ops. Democrats don't have photo ops. Have you noticed that, by the way? Democrats are expressing genuine emotions. These things are not uh, – they're not manipulating um, you know, a circumstance or situation. This was to protest – uh, this was to protest the 
situation, the the death of um, of George Floyd. But it was a photo op. I mean, clearly a photo op. Clearly, I mean this this is just ridiculous. Again, I mean, look, if this was genuine, I I have no that that's fine. Anything genuine, people express things differently. But come on, folks, this this is and these are this is a group of opportunists that are trying to literally. This was a photo op. This was a staged presentation. This was a. This was a performance. It was bad, bad performance, bad political theater. And it's just, it's just, in my opinion, it's reprehensible. These are opportunists. This is the sort of thing. Look, and people will say, what about Trump? Uh, I don't think all will Trump in the uh, uh, the Church of the Presidents there across uh, from the White House, Lafayette, Lafayette Park. Um. You know there are times when it's it's okay, but th- this is exploiting a circumstance. Trump, what Trump did was walk across Lafayette Park to pose in front of the church with the Bible to basically say, "You don't, you didn't win, rioters. You didn't win Antifa. You didn't win looters. You didn't win arsonists. You didn't win terrorists." That's not what that's not what this was about. This is about trying to connect with on, emo, on an emotional level folks who are still processing, dealing with, trying to figure out the next steps. Um, you know, regarding police reform, regarding all of these issues. I just had the funeral uh, for George Floyd. There's I got soundbite. There's so much to get into today, but. Um, I thought it would be a good thing to bring in someone to kind of weed through the culture and talk about some things that really that really also matter here as we as we try to navigate these these difficult difficult times. So, but this performance was was I mean it's just embarrassing what they try to do here. It's truly an attempt to just politically capitalize off of a tragic situation that no one is against legitimately trying to fix. This is to this is for personal benefit, personal gain. This is this is ugly stuff. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, if you haven't, uh, it's, it is worth checking out. It's also worth checking out, and I might play this um, after the interview. So this might be in the first hour, beginning a second hour. I, uh, as we get back to this issue in particular, but there's a an individual. Um, she's, uh, I believe, she's a Kenyan. Obianaju Ikiocha, I believe, is how I pronounce the name. She is um, she's pro life, and she basically came out and criticized the Democrats for what they did, how they used this. Um, you know, African cloth, I believe, where does it come? Um, it, it comes from Ghana, I believe, but how they use this to try to manipulate and to try to turn this into yet something else, um, you know, bringing in now true African culture here to try to politically benefit, stir up emotions, make this a uh, political scene and it's just, 
it's crazy stuff the, what what they try to do here. But but this is what happens. You've got a group of people who are bad thespians. They're trying to make this into political theater. This is how they ultimately get their vote. It's not about ideas or solutions. And in fact, they're backtracking. They're trying to distance themselves from the truly radical in their party. They're not pushing for the defund police or they're not pushing for the dismantling of police. But yet, look, there's a there's a battle for control of that party as well, just like there is for the Republican Party between conservatives and establishment types. There's the establishment types, and then there's the, there's the radicals in the party. And the radicals say, you better believe it's time to defund the police. It's time to completely do away with the police, move towards our socialist utopias where we just – you know, either have pure anarchy or, you know, we just we just um, we don't need police anymore. There's a battle for the Democrat Party. There's a battle for the heart and soul of America. And some of the stuff that we see, folks, is pure, pure evil, pure evil. Anyway, I want to I got to stop a little bit early here because I want to share my conversations with us uh, conversation with Alex McFarland here uh, in the middle portion of the first hour here. So. As generally speaking, we we have about twenty minute conversations. That's about what this one is as well. So, I want to share my my conversation with him. I think you'll find uh, find it interesting. So we'll do that here after the break. You're listening to the Home of Conservative, not Bitter Talk. I'm your host Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back. As I promised last segment, a little bit early in the break there, I want to share this conversation I had with Alex McFarland. Again, Alex McFarland is a G author, speaker, uh, international speaker. He's a debater. He's a Christian apologist, former minister. He's been involved in leadership at uh, in education. I mean, the guy's done a lot of things. And so anyway, I've, I've wanted to have him on the program for some time. So it was um, a good honor to have him on the program. And so I want to share my conversation with him. We talked uh, yesterday yesterday morning, and so I want to share that conversation. Alex McFarland, and uh, hope you enjoy. Well, here we go again. Got a little... Technical problem with my file. Let's try this again. All right, folks, bear with me. Technical problems. Here we go. Volume was just down. Let's try this one more time. Alex McFarland. Yesterday's interview. Here here you go. Hope you enjoy. I have the good pleasure today to be speaking with Alex McFarland. Alex is a culture and religion expert, but really, Alex, you do a lot of things. And though I, so I thought I would start by simply just letting you explain some of the things that, that you do and maybe a little bit of the reasoning and the rationale behind why it is that you do that. Oh, well, thanks. And first of all, let me say what a pleasure it is to be on with you and uh, have a great appreciation for the work you do. So thanks for the time that we can converse. Um, you know, uh, became a Christian in college and discovered apologetics through Josh McDowell's books, you mm-hmm. know, and then um, went to seminary grad school, was a youth pastor for 11 years, 
and uh, went to work for folks on the family uh, out in Colorado working for James Dobson. And 17 years ago, Dr. Dobson had a vision for apologetics, which is the the evidence for Christianity. And so started doing a lot of writing, producing videos, uh, teaching materials, doing events. And basically, um, we've done 46 major citywide apologetics conferences called Truth for a New Generation. Um, and the, the TNG conferences, Truth for a New Generation, we would bring together speakers like Ravi Zacharias mm-hmm. and Chuck Colson and Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel and many others. And um, Along the way, began teaching at universities like Liberty University and mm-hmm. uh, Karis Bible College out in Colorado and just... Um, you know, at heart, I'm an evangelist. I want uh, people to hear about Jesus Christ and have a relationship with the Lord. Uh, but I'm also deeply passionate about the, the state of our country. And so through apologetics, whether it's, you know, teaching a class or preaching at a conference or something, you know, I'm just trying to help um, help save the country by helping people build their life on God and His Word. And uh, lo and behold, you look up and 25 years has gone by. <laughs> Time flies for sure. So you've written this book, Moral Decay, The Real Cultural Threat No One Talks About. Um, I, you know, when we look at the culture of America, when we look at some of the threats to um, you know, our society, to heck our system of government, to our families – what are some of these problems, and, and and how do you think we need to go about addressing some of these root underlying problems that are so prevalent in much of America today? Well, well, you, you know, obviously the number one thing for any person in all of life, the most important thing of all is to have a relationship with Christ. I mean, that's that's the number one purpose of life is to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ. But in terms of our culture, um, really, there's not a problem that we face that's not traceable to the breakdown of the family. And even in the riots, you know, watching the riots in the aftermath of, of George Floyd's tragic murder, really, you know, I, I, you know, I'll grant, let me just say for the record, racism is wrong, racism is a sin, and the brutality that George Floyd was subjected to that took his life, that's, that's unacceptable. But uh, the family, it, it's, it's in the family that, that people learn about responsibility, accountability, even you know, healthy, appropriate um, dealing with anger and frustration. And so the, the loss of our moral compass and the violence, and just the rhetoric and the the unteachability of people, and and just the secularism, and even things like gender confusion and uh, gender dysphoria and same sex attraction, all of this is traceable to our abandonment of family and our basic loss of our our moral compass. And so, um, that, that that's kind of a broad answer. But we in America, we're going to continue to descend into lawlessness and anarchy unless we have the courage and the presence of mind to admit 
pervasively, nationally, and how we need leaders to say this, but we need to recover uh, uh, an ethic of God and family. We do. It's definitely, definitely an important thing that we need to return to. So what do we, in the wake of this George Floyd tragic situation in Minneapolis, you've seen probably the responses of some of these cities, in particular Minneapolis, who's now calling for not just reform of law enforcement, but you see they're now actually calling for the dismantling, whatever that means. I don't think they have a clue what they're talking about, but that's what they're calling for. Now there's defunding of police departments and so forth around the country. Um, and, and so you mentioned a word that that really struck my the, the chord of uh, my heart really last uh, – your last answer, which is lawlessness and anarchy. We're moving towards that. So maybe speak to that for a moment. What's this this movement of lawlessness and anarchy and disorder? Uh, what, what's going on there? Well, people need to understand, uh, and, and I don't think that the, the average American it has yet come to grips with the reality that there is a takeover being uh, worked in our country. I mean, it's almost like, imagine you're driving your car and you hear a sound and you say to yourself, oh man, that's not the engine dying, you know. Uh, the engine is not about to blow. That's just a sound. And you, you try to reassure yourself that it's not as serious as you think. Folks, believe it. And I, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not one given over to flights of fancy. But what we have in America and what has been our genius for 242 years. And look, uh, what I'm about to say would be agreed upon and affirmed by people like JFK, Robert F. Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, uh, Chief Justice Earl Warren of the Supreme Court, um, Democrat liberals of previous generations would affirm and validate what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is this. We were a constitutional representative republic based on belief in morals, God, and the Bible. Harry Truman said that. Jimmy Carter said that. In 2003, Bill Clinton said that. So to say that we were a representative, lawful, orderly republic based on biblical principles, that's not a radical idea. Dr. MLK said that in his 1963 Pulitzer Prize winning book. But what's going on is the systematic uh, erosion and dismantling of family, of God, of religious freedom. We've definitely, we've all but lost freedom of speech. I'll give you an example. Last night, uh, some people were Facebook messaging me, and the, this was a young pastor who was probably, um, I, I know this uh, gentleman a little bit. He's uh, 31, 32, and he's a young pastor. And um, he basically was challenging me to say, uh, can you say Black Lives Matter? And I said, of course, black lives matter, but all human lives matter. Mm -hmm. And um, to say that all life is sacred, we're made in God's image, to say that, you know, human life matters, that, that doesn't mean that black lives don't matter. Yeah. All ethnicities matter. And, and I said, you know, for one thing, when we're talking about racism, let's remember there's one race, the human race. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So this young pastor began to tear into me, saying that you don't realize what a racist you are. 
I'm like, really? Okay, be specific. How am I a racist? Now, this guy doesn't really know me. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know what our ministry has done in the inner city. He doesn't know what our ministry does in prisons to help all ethnicities. Uh, and he doesn't know... Uh, <laughs> And I, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'll just put it this way. This young pastor cannot know what our ministry and what my wife and I personally have done for a lot of people, and ethnic minorities included. Mm-hmm. And he said, merely by saying that all lives matter, I'm a racist. And so all sorts of people chimed in, and you could almost tell the divide People roughly 30 and older have a moral compass and the ability to see other points of view, but the social justice woke people, say 30 and younger, were, were calling me a racist because I say all lives matter. My point being this, there's a systematic takeover of the country being attempted, and it's changing language, it's definitely changing education and and we have to understand that we're in a spiritual battle and it's a very real battle and what hangs in the balance are not only our liberties but ultimately the souls of people and uh, the ability to publicly express the christian gospel that's exactly right and alex i want to continue this discussion but we need to take a break here so that we can fit all this conversation and lots to get to so if you could sit tight and join us in the next segment we'll continue this conversation so does that sound good Sounds good. Okay, great. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. Welcome back. Hope you are enjoying our conversation with Alex McFarland. We'll get to the second part of that interview again when I when we have these longer interviews, I've got to adjust our segments. So this one's gonna be shorter, kind of a intermission of sorts, if you will. And I also wanted to point out, remind you, I don't actually I don't know if I mentioned this. Well, I mentioned it maybe last week, but I haven't mentioned it this week. One of our longtime supporters, Freegi and Freegi Auctions and Marketing, yes, TJ and I, friends back to junior high days. Um, played basketball together, football together. In fact, I've shared before that uh, back in high school, he was the center on the football team, and I was uh, quarterback, so we had uh, that relationship as well. But um, now he's a very successful auctioneer. In fact, he even uh, does some of the Barrett-Jackson auctions around the country. As I've shared before, I've always entertains me when I flip one of those on and see TJ up at the podium. But does a great, great job. Champion auctioneer, just really top-notch, uh, really the best, uh, among the best at what he does. But they have an auction this this coming Saturday. They actually have two auctions. One is their monthly consignment auction. And so they have uh, SSs and four-wheelers. They've got tractors and mowers, vehicles, boats, trailers, tools, furniture, some small items, some household items. Check out their website um, to see what some of these items are. And you can do that by visiting 
Freegee Auctioneers, F-R-E-I-J-E, Auctioneers with an S.com. They also have another auction. This is an online auction that begins on Friday at 10 a.m. This one will last through June 25th. This is a liquidation auction, a liquidation of uh, Wolf Builders of Indianapolis. They're liquidating um, their assets. And so, look, I, I can't go through the, through the full list of items here, but um, you know, if you're a, a builder or if you have need for you know, some tools, trailers, um, different things like that, you can check that out as well. Again, at freegeauctioneers.com, F-R-E-I-J-E, auctioneers with an S, Dot com. So anyway, um, again, short truncated segment here just to make sure we keep our correct number of breaks, but also so that we can give you the full interview. Uh, the next segment's about 13 minutes uh, to give you the full interview, the full conversation with Alex McFarland, which I hope you're enjoying. So that being said, going to stop, take a break, come back and continue our discussion with Alex McFarland. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff, back in... Just a minute. Welcome back. So I want to get back right back to this so that we've got time to fit this in. My continued conversation with Alex McFarland. And uh, again, he's a Christian apologist evangelist, speaker, writer, broadcaster, and um, talking about a lot of things dealing with culture, society, Jesus, and just want to get back to that. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Again, we welcome to the program Alex McFarlane. Alex is a religion culture expert. He's an apologist. He's an evangelist. He's a broadcaster. He's an educator. He's a and been involved, he's been a pastor, a youth pastor, talking about culture and some of the problems we face uh, here in America. In fact, we last segment, uh, we're, we're talking about kind of the generational divide between, um, you know, kind of the uh, Generation Y and uh, just some of the things that are happening as to how their worldview impacts uh, impacts their reality and some of the challenges there and and getting people to understand that uh, there can be differences of opinion and not everything is, uh, you know, worth causing a revolution. But Alex, you, you said a couple things in your last answer that uh, reminded me of something I'd read recently. I don't know if you've uh, read much into some of these anarchist groups like Antifa, but what you're saying about there being an attempt to, you know, really to change this country, even to, I would maintain, to over overthrow this country. I mean, it's it's in writing. They've written 10-step plans and some of the things they want to do, and there is a hatred, a flat-out hatred towards the fundamental principles of America. And, you know, you, you talk a lot about natural law and things in just you know the natural order of things, the way that God created uh, the world to work and morality and right and wrong. But there's an absolute hatred for some of these things. Where does that come from, and how do we combat this? Well, uh, God bless you. Uh, it's, it's interesting, and, and I've talked with a lot of the, you know, uh, let me say one thing about young people. Young people very often have this very, very keen sense of right and wrong, and uh, they, 
yeah, I, I think some of the people that unwittingly are kind of standing against American ideals, they might actually be well-intentioned, but, but very naive. And, but I agree with you. They, there are the Antifa people that uh, they have you know, written out plans for the overthrow of America. Um, a lot of the young people that become kind of righteously indignant and they, they, in vague terms, they don't like big government, uh, or, or I mean big business. And they'll say, you know, well, you know, IBM made $2 billion profit last year. That's just wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. Uh, why is it wrong? You know, there, there's a hatred of capitalism mm-hmm. because there, there's this assumption, and it's an incorrect assumption, but that if wealth has been created – it necessarily happened off of the back of a victim. That's right. And that's called a non sequitur, non-sequential. It doesn't necessarily follow. And so um, I'll put it this way. One of the, one of the steps in, in moral cognitive development is uh, the development for abstract thought. You know, Piaget, uh, Jean Piaget talked about how, you know, from, in late childhood we – we are black and white, very concrete thinkers, and then we move to the ability to think abstractly. And, and I think a lot of these social justice warriors, they just simply do not have the capacity for abstract thought and to realize that in economics, a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. And the way wealth is created, you know, people put their, their own money at risk, they work hard, and they create a business that's profitable. And so a lot of the people that want to overthrow America, now remember, they don't believe in an objective moral code. Homosexuality and abortion are okay because there's no God and no morals. And yet when people work hard and succeed, they'll say, well, that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, wait a minute. You guys don't believe in objective right or wrong. And so uh, what we have are a lot of, socially active adults that are still uh, emotionally and morally six-year-olds screaming, that's not fair, that's not fair. <laughs> uh, he, he has a piece of birthday cake, and I, I want another piece of birthday cake. It's not fair. Well, uh, the genius of our founding fathers, like Alexander, Alexander Hamilton wrote in The Federalist, often called the Federalist Papers, but really most properly just called the Federalist, which were a series of essays that were designed to help the colonies understand and adopt the Constitution. But the founders understood humans have a sin nature, and we have a propensity toward greed and selfishness. And the best way to help society function in a healthy, equitable way is that we recognize God and morality, and the, this wonderful power can be harnessed. If you want food on the table, if you want a roof over your head, and if you 10 years from now want a better roof over your head and nicer food on your table, then you can work for it and earn it. And uh, part of the Democrats' problem is they're so busy with their nose in other people's life that they're not really attending to their own. Mm -hmm. But I think it's beautiful that our founders understood human nature 
that we have a sin problem, exactly. and we need right. a moral code to help rein us in. An observation, an observation I've made, uh, and I guess I want your thoughts on this, but it seems to me culturally, uh, the the media, uh, certain you know uh, pundits and talking heads and so forth, they they seem to be preaching what I would say results in this ultimate outcome, which is everybody's responsible for everybody else, but no one is responsible for himself. That's what I see when I when I when I hear people blame me for systemic problems or things that I never, you know, directly been involved with. I sit there and think, what did you want me to do about this? I mean, even if these things exist or to whatever degree, what how am I involved? But yet meanwhile, when someone does something that's blatantly wrong, they can then blame society. It's as though we've, you know, you miss it going both directions. And I feel like that's Part of what we're seeing here, there's this outrage and general outrage that's applied towards everybody, but yet when it comes to a specific, you know, someone committing wrong specifically, we seem to blame everybody else. It just doesn't seem to jibe with me. Thoughts on that? Well, exactly, exactly. And you know that that's you know part of the problem that a lot of uh, people, even young people, uh, even Christian people. They're they're saying they're repeating woke slogans that might feel good to say, like like the pastor that was tearing me up on YouTube last night. I mean on Facebook, and he he was saying that the American church is systemically racist. And I said, okay, give me an example. And he said, and this is a quote, and I'm going to talk about this on my own radio show later today. He said, well the quote, overwhelming depictions of Jesus as a white man, end of quote. And I I said, okay, give me an example. I said, you know, I've spoken in 2,200 churches in all 50 states and five continents. Uh, I've never seen clergy or laity depict Jesus as a white man. I said, now, I've been to church plays where Caucasian church members were biblical characters in a play. Mm-hmm. I, I was at an African-American church Easter a year ago where African-Americans were portraying biblical characters in an Easter play. And I said, certainly you wouldn't fault people. You know, the theater uh, began in two places, Greece and the church. The theater, as we now know it, really began in the church. So actors, you know, it's not cultural uh, uh, appropriation to uh, have an actor portray a part. I mean, surely you can't fault an actor for the ethnicity into which they were born. Sure. But I said, what What do you mean these overwhelming depictions of Jesus as a white man? I, I said, I, I've just, I've never seen that, and I've been around the block as much as anybody. And so his answer was not to give a specific example but merely to repeat slogans mm-hmm. You're, that I'm blind to my own racism. And I said, really? Wow. I um, routinely have African-Americans in my house for Bible study and to sit at my dinner table. Um, Lord knows I've, you know, our, our ministry has done crusades in four dozen prisons, and we've raised thousands of dollars to give clothes and books and school supplies and food. To all people, so goodness, I my home is open, my wallet is open. Uh, how am I a racist? You know, mm-hmm. but 
um, rather than specific tangible examples, uh, so many Americans and, and a lot of uh, hip-hop happening clergy, the hipster Christians, and I love the church, but young hipster Christians are very often more about slogans than reality, and they're, they're more about um, appearance than substance. And frankly, there is very few that are willing to courageously speak truth and be teachable too. And that's what's needed right now the most. One, I know you got to jump off here in a second, so sixty seconds here. I have it's it's a two part question, but it's basically how much of this problem that we face falls upon our education system, and the second part is how much of this falls upon the church. Uh, moms and dads, if you love God and country, you need to get your kids out of public school because uh, I think America's public schools are irrevocably broken and not savable. The teachers' unions have such a stranglehold on educational content. And then the other thing is that we have to recover an ethic of churchmanship, and we have to get our kids in church. And I, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, not just this once a month or twice per quarter. We need we need to be in church. And uh, I appreciate you. My website is alexmcfarland.com. I'm going to be at the Billy Graham Training Center, The Cove, coming up July 27 to teach the book of Daniel and Revelation. And I uh, would love to have some of your listeners come. I'd love to come to your city and speak. I'll go to a, I'll go to a college and debate your local atheists in love. I don't mind if college groups scream at me and give me the middle finger. Happens all the time. I mean, uh-huh. ha- how is this for meaningful discourse? I can go, like I was at the University of Kentucky Medical School in Louisville, mm-hmm. a panel discussion on, on what does it mean to be human. And I was giving secular developmental psychologists, quoting, I was quoting mental health professionals that uh, disagree with transgenderism. And they were saying that Gender reassignment surgery is is really uh, you cannot change your gender. Gender is innate. Mm-hmm. Gender is not merely a social choice. And I was backing up my points with scientists and mental health professionals, and kids sit there and give me the middle finger. Oh, gee. <laughs> that that that's not an argument. I, no, and I would say, no, I, I say, look, I get it. You know, but so I would love to come to your city. We'll do our best to. Love people and speak the truth and build bridges. Well, that's what needs to happen. Alex, I ha- I've enjoyed having you on. We'll have you back on again sometime. It's been a pleasure. Alex McFarland, religion and culture expert here on the Todd F Show. Thanks for listening. Be back in just a minute. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alex McFarland. Alex uh, brought up some really important things, things that we need to uh, make sure that are part of this discussion as we look at culture, as we look at uh, just the, the mess that our society's in at this particular point. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed having Alex on the program. Probably will invite him back at some point, but. I know we didn't get to talk about a lot of the other things today, but do not let your heart be troubled. We will continue this conversation on YouTube 
Hour number two of the program is currently available on YouTube. All you got to do is go to YouTube and search The Todd Huff Show. We'll be there about uh, six minutes from now. So welcome you to join us there. And guys, as always, appreciate your uh, listening and support. Have a great day. SDG. See you in a few. Take care.